The Culture Guy Podcast. Welcome back in 2018. New Year, same podcast. With new guests. This time with the guest from Canada. From the wet coast. Hello everybody, this is Christian, also known as The Culture Guy, and this is The Culture Guy Podcast, first episode of the year 2018. Welcome back everybody. And today I have a guest, as I said, from Canada, from the West Coast, or as he says, from the Wet Coast. Apparently it rains a bit there, well, so they say. So our guest today is a self-described recovering corporate hack, and I'm going to let him explain what that means. Matt Burns is from Vancouver, Canada, and he has been in the human resources field for several years, um, most currently working for a Danish retail company. Before that, was working for one of the biggest retail companies in the world. You can check out his LinkedIn resume in order to find who these companies are. That's not relevant for our conversation, and that's why I'm going to bring him on right now. And hello, today I'm here with Matt Burns in, well, I know in Canada, somewhere at the West Coast. Matt, where exactly are you? I'm in Vancouver this morning, better known as the wet coast of Canada. Oh, the wet coast. Okay. Is it raining hard? Today, it is a nice reprieve from the rain. It's a bit chilly this morning, but uh, no rain as of yet. Well, then I got you beat because I am in what people sometimes refer to as hot Lana, and it is everything but hot. It is actually snowing. So go figure. We got, we got you beat, Canada. Happy holidays. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, traffic has come to an almost standstill. They call it Snowmageddon. And when it snows down here in the south, um, things get real. Now, you've been around the world a little bit. We met, I think we met online, LinkedIn or something. Some social media connection led us together. And I quickly learned that you, as a wet coaster Canadian, have been um, through the Americas quite a bit. So why don't you tell our audience why you're here with me today and what your journey, where your journey took you. Absolutely, Christian. I mean, uh, first off, thank you for the opportunity to speak with yourself and your audience this morning. Um, as you mentioned, I'm from the wet coast of Canada here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, but having said that, my previous background includes working for a number of large global organizations. Uh, and that's affording opportunities to work around the world with different cultures. Uh, it's also one of the reasons why recently I decided to pursue a MBA with an international component to it. Uh, the program has been really exciting. We've just finished our first year. Uh, and in the second year, we have the opportunity to visit a number of global cities as part of our learnings. Um, I think I mentioned to you before, uh, sir, that uh, we just got back in the later part of October from Sao Paulo, Brazil, which was an absolutely amazing experience. 
uh, and we're set to visit uh, Mexico City here in the next six weeks, and then uh, finally by finishing in Nashville in the middle of April. Wow. That, so it'll take you through the Americas, and you, you will um, experience work styles and lifestyles that are probably not as Canadian as one might expect. Um, now, when you say um, we and MBA, um, I'm assuming this is a program um, originating from one university. Which, which university is that? Well, in here in Vancouver, it's a university called Simon Fraser. But uh, in fact, these students come from four universities. So the Canadian students, the cohort comes from Simon Fraser here in Vancouver. Uh, our American counterparts come from Vanderbilt, in course, in Nashville. Uh, we have colleagues in uh, FIA, which is a business school in Sao Paulo, uh, and then ETAM, which is a business school in Mexico City. So we pull students from each of those four countries. And then in some of the cases, we pull from actually from the regional areas. So for instance, our, our American counterparts in Nashville actually hail from places as wide ranging as Florida, Mississippi, uh, even Atlanta, along with Nashville and other parts of the United States. So the great beauty of that is that we pull individuals from a number of places, both regionally as also uh, globally, and it gives a really nice diverse perspective of opinions, conversations, uh, and as we're formed in teams, it really reinforces the importance of cross-cultural engagement as we move forward. So these students from these different locations, they're with you in a cohort throughout the entire MBA program. So you'll have Brazilians with you in BC and you'll have Mexicans with you while you're in Nashville and so forth. Is that correct? That, that's correct. The first year you're with your uh, domestic counterparts. So we work with Vancouver students in year one, but year two, they shake things up. And then those individuals that want to pursue the international component, like myself, are then rejuggled into international teams. Uh, each of the teams have individuals from each of those uh, countries and therefore uh, work on a collaborative project together. Uh, we're assigned essentially a capstone project and a corporate customer in which that we are asked to produce a, a final work product as a consultancy project and help them in the case of our project with a market entry into South America. Nice. So mm -hmm. you, you're being, um, I don't want to say forced, but encouraged or the, the setup of the, the MBA program um, makes it basically mandatory to practice working with people from a different culture, from a different uh, school of thought and different way of doing things. What were some of the observations you have made over the course of the program so far? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I wouldn't use the word necessarily use the word force. What I would say it's an opportunity. Uh, you know, in terms of the program itself, the, the opportunity to work with students from around the world to me was was the selling feature. Uh, again, as I've worked globally in the past, I understand that with today's global economy, it's absolutely critical that you have an understanding of different cultures around the world. So the opportunity to practice that in a safe environment where you're working with students uh, and the stakes really aren't that high um, in terms of an academic program. I mean, my career trajectory is not impacted by, you know, potentially a misstep in a social situation in a cross-cultural group at school. So it gives us an opportunity to learn from each other in a safe environment. Uh, and what I would say is it provided an interesting backdrop, just given what's happening today in the world. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Um, we were in a cross-cultural management class in Vancouver in August. Uh, and I was sitting in class going through a great learning with our professor uh, regarding cross-cultural management and the importance of empathy and working with different cultures. And in real time, um, I heard from behind me somebody gasp. And you know that's not a, a typical sound you hear in a classroom setting in an MBA program, uh, but it wasn't, uh, yeah, exactly. And it wasn't soon before we realized actually what was happening was Charlottesville. 
Um, and it didn't take long for individuals looking at their smartphones and tablets realize what was actually happening in the United States. Um, let, 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 let me pause you real quick yeah. there. May, maybe not everybody in the audience um, knows what that reference Charlottesville means. So it's just in, in the Cliff Note version, Charlottesville is a small city in, in the south of the United States. And in the year 2017, there were um, rallies for, um, well, some would say alt-right movements, other would say neo-Nazis, at least a, a very um, conser ultra-conservative, right-wing leaning um, part of the political spectrum, and there were counter-protests, and that eventually led to um, one counter-protester being killed by one of the, uh, allegedly by one of the uh, people from the right-wing groups, and that was something that you learned about while you were sitting in class. Yeah I, yeah, I would say almost it was we experienced it in real time. And, if, you know, having that course regarding cross-cultural management, while something of that nature is occurring in real time, uh, provided an opportunity for us to have a real conversation. Uh, and as you can appreciate yourself being in the United States, uh, in particular, our American cohort was particularly impacted by the information in real time, because this is a domestic um, challenge that has been going on in the United States for some time. Um, whatever your leanings are politically, I think we all would agree that at times it has been more divisive than it has been in the past. Yes. And as a result, we stopped the program uh, in terms of the, the, the planned course content and had a robust discussion regarding that particular experience and the importance of reinforcing inclusion uh, to bring people together to solve problems um, and the inherent risks of divisive thinking. Mm -hmm. So did you, in that conversation, um, I'm assuming or I'm expecting there to be uh, diverse opinions or points of views from the members of your cohort, depending on where they were from. Yeah, there was diversity. What I would say is um, not diversity in the sense of what you sometimes will see in uh, mainstream media at various points, but diversity in terms of everyone recognizes the challenges. Um, everybody knows individuals who operate on both sides of the quote unquote divide. Um, and in some cases, individuals have traveled to Charlottesville, have family in that area, and therefore feel it in a very visceral sense. Um, and of course, when you have that dynamic with our American counterparts, that presents a unique situation and a backdrop. And then you have, of course, have some commentary from our counterparts in Mexico, who very much view that situation from a very different perspective. And then our counterparts in Brazil, who from a distance are also viewing things from a different perspective. So what it led to was a really robust discussion regarding just the principles of inclusion moving forward. Um, and um, you know, there wasn't any um, individuals who of course were advocating for what had transpired in Charlottesville, but just reinforcing the fact that without proper dialogue and discussion, um, you know, tragedies can happen and that we all are better served by sitting down, having conversations and working through our, our problems. Right. It's it's. Um, one of my teachers, mentors, friends um, always says it's, it's not so much identifying the differences, which is important. It is acting in light of the differences and, and finding a, a common way forward as a, a diverse team. And, and finding the best way forward requires, as you said, to sit down and, and talk and, and find that commonality. Now... When, when you encountered your foreign um, fellow students for the first time, was it more the differences that stood out to you or was it, did, were you all quick to find what you guys have in common? I think the latter point, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the, the cohort, I mean, we're dealing with an MBA group, so we clearly 
are a very small subsection of, from within our, our own individual domestic countries. I mean, we're fortunate to be able to have the, you know, the means or the relationships to allow us to be in an MBA program at a time when the global economy, of course, is going through its own challenges. Uh, so we, have, we understand that as a group, we have some privilege. We also understand that it takes a very special kind of person to want to throw themselves into an opportunity where there's going to be some cross-cultural learning. Uh, for some individuals, that is a very uncomfortable experience. Um, and we, we met people in Vancouver in August that had never left their home country before. So for them, it was a brand new experience. Um, you know, they maybe never left their, um, their domestic country in the past. Um, so they're getting that experience along with different opinions. But to your point, the more we talked, the more we collaborated, the more we got to know each other, the more we found similarities and the less the differences became evident. Mm -hmm. Now, you said there, were some, there was some discomfort for some. Um, can you recall some incidences where either yourself or some of your fellow students uh, experienced the discomfort of cultural difference? Yeah, I mean, discomfort's a pretty general term. So what I would say is, you know, just working styles. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, my personal opinion would be that um, individuals from the United States, and I've worked with American colleagues for the better part of 15 years now, uh, America is a very individual culture in, in so far as um, it's very focused on, you know, personal success, personal achievement, um, and having that, you know, achieving that American dream of if you work really hard and you make the right decisions and you build the right relationships, you'll have success. Mm -hmm. um, other cultures, in particular from Brazil and Mexico, um, they're much more of a, of a collaborative, communitarian family approach. So it's all about the success of the team and not as much about the success of the individual. So some of those dynamics um, emerge quickly in terms of are we, you know, attending this MBA program and trying to achieve a personal GPA result or a personal letter grade result? Or are we interested more broadly in the success and the learning of the other members of the team and using that as success? So that discussion really prompted some really, really good dialogue. And ultimately, we ended at a, a hybrid approach that respected both the individuals that wanted to achieve their personal success, but also those individuals that wanted to achieve more of that collaborative team success. Nice. So here, here's here's the, the starting situation and the end situation. You, you recognize there's people who tend to be more individualistic and you recognize there's people that are more group focused and you came up with some kind of hybrid. Now, how did you come up with a hybrid? How, how did that process evolve? Was there a conscious conversation or did that just organically happen? So a couple things. What I would say is I also wouldn't draw lines between countries and personalities. There are certainly Canadian individuals in our cohort that have a very individual view of the world. And there certainly are American colleagues that have a more of a communitarian view of the world. So it's not drawn exclusively by, by um, domestic lines. Thank you. But what I would say is we as a, as a group, both in terms of the larger group of MBA students, but also in our smaller working groups, we made the conscious effort to hear everybody out and establish what each of our individual goals were from the program. And in hearing that, and I think as long as each of us, which we did, viewed the opportunity to help one another and hear each other out fully and without judgment, it provided then a real understanding of what each of us were trying to achieve and ultimately, uh, we wanted to support each other in achieving those goals. So it quickly evolved from a conversation of this is what I want to an understanding of these are what the people around me also need. And then therefore a buildup of a mutual respect um, with an understanding that um, we need to support both the individuals that have those individual uh, expectations, but also those that are more interested in the group uh, dynamic. Nice, nice. So if, if young um, high school graduates 
or college students or young professionals who are looking to have a, a, an educational experience uh, similar to yours when they are about to embark on, on a global international experience? What are some of the tips you would give them now that you've gotten your feet wet in that field? Yeah, I, great question. I think for me, it's first off, you have to suspend judgment. Uh, I think we all come equipped with some preconceived notions or biases about individuals and their countries. Um, and certainly we were exposed to those biases early on in the program. Um, and what I would say is that you need to go with an open mind. Now, you need to be open to the fact that there are individuals that will, will cause you to change the way you view things. Uh, also, the program itself really does, to use your previous term, really does force through experiential learning you to intake a whole bunch of information. And I think one of the beauties of the program was by, by putting you in you know, almost like a fish out of water, dropping someone like myself into Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I had never been in South America before, and a chance to, to learn about that culture and the way people live and the way they interact from a business culture perspective really causes you to intake the information. But I think to answer your question more directly, if you keep that open mind and you're receptive enough to take in that learning, you will get growth from that experience. If you wall yourself off from the potential to learn, then you will obviously have less uh, growth as a result. Beautiful. One of one of my teachers said, um, and, and I was an adult at that point, and it was in the English language, which is not my first language, as most of you know. Um, and he said the the most the most um, limiting sentence um, or the most limiting words you can tell yourself are I know that mm. and um, because it shuts off the brain for a new experience if, if you tell yourself that you've already had that experience of um, even if you go through and I watch a movie for the second time or I read a book for the second time or I travel to a country for the umpteenth time it's not the same me who's rereading the book or rewatching the movie or re-entering that specific city, country, region. So I, as a person, am different than the one I was a year, two, five years ago. So my learnings, my awarenesses in, in that experience will, by default, not be the same. So telling myself that I know that already is a really limiting concept. So um, thanks for that advice so that you're... Um, whether it be students or business travelers or leisure travelers, whoever you are in, in crossing borders and, and cultural dividing lines, enter it with an open mind. Now, I also know from previous conversations with you and in reading through, through your, your profile that you like to call yourself a recovering corporate hack. And... <laughs> That is a cute soundbite, I have to admit. Um, it, it, it does sound a little self-deprecating, so that's, I guess, the Canadian in you that is, is, okay about la is okay with laughing about himself. Now, what does that mean when you say you're a recovering corporate hack? So what made you a hack in the first place, and how are you recovering from it? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you're bang on. I think, you know, when you live in a country like Canada, uh, I think it's important to have a really good sense of humor. Um, you know, I think just given the challenges we're all facing today, both in terms of managing work and life and all those pressures, sometimes it's really important to step back and realize how good we all have it and laugh at yourself a little bit. So I try and, you know, add that dose of reality where I possibly can into my personal life, my professional life. And where I don't, I promise you, my wife helps me with that as well to keep me balanced and keep me grounded. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, where, what we do in terms of how we support um, the, the broader, um, you know, 
view of the corporate hack piece, for me, it really comes down to looking back um, at my last 20 years in the corporate world. And when I came out of high school and then went into my first kind of corporate job, at that time, what was really important, at least in my family unit, was to work for a large organization where there was brand recognition um, and then to be part of, if you will, the big machine. That was seen as you've made it, you've had success, it's the kind of you know company and role you could talk about at dinner parties and that your parents can brag about with their friends at you know social events. That was really important when I first came and, and kind of graduated, if you will, into the professional world. But behind the scenes and as an undercurrent, the world started to shift and change. Um, and the idea of working for large organizations became, in some cases, less palatable. Um, you know, I think about some of the decisions that I made going into my first job, and some of those big organizations offered things like job security. And they offered things like the opportunity to advance and grow laterally and potentially take international opportunities. And I certainly benefited from that earlier in my career. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to have worked with those employers and be exposed to those multinational corporations. But as technology started to expand, um, what I would say is some of those, those values, if you will, some of those positives became less and less relevant as the business world started to shift. I'll give you an example. I remember very vividly the very first day that I got my BlackBerry. And I was so excited about having something in my hand that I could check my email whenever I wanted to. You don't look that old. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I promise you that uh, I am that old. Um, I do remember where we built the internet. I did used to have an encyclopedia connection. And when I wanted to find information, I had to go into the appropriate encyclopedia. And if it wasn't there, I just didn't get the answer. So I remember a world where that, that BlackBerry was first handed to me. And again, I was so excited about having that link to the business. And there, all of a sudden, our Skype connection collapsed. Go figure. This is technology. But I managed to bring Matthew back on, and we are back. Well, this is what you get when you use modern technology. We talked about Blackberries, and I was really bad-mouthing the good old BlackBerry phone when my good old Skype collapsed. So this is what technology does in today's age. We rely on it, and when it doesn't work, we're like, whoa, what happened? But we're back with Matt in Vancouver, and Thank he you. remembers his time with the first BlackBerry. You go. Yeah, you know, I absolutely remember that time looking down at that device and just being in awe of the ability to get emails in my hand. Uh, at that time, that was a great benefit. But the, quickly, the novelty of having that BlackBerry wore off when I realized that it really was a connection and an expectation that I'd be connected to the business 24-7. Yeah. And what that meant for me from a corporate leader perspective was I realized that now one of the benefits of working in a large corporate entity in that work-life balance piece, um, which... When you contrast it with entrepreneurship, which I think we all would agree is a 24-7, seven days a week, 365 type of a job, quickly became uh, not a differentiator anymore. Now, working in a corporate environment had much of the same opportunities as working in an entrepreneurial environment. Um, and that certainly was something that stuck out to me um, and certainly stuck out to my colleagues as we looked at our futures going forward. On top of that, um, the global economic crisis in 2007, 2008, certainly caused a lot of businesses to relook at their financial structures and their future going forward. Um, and that led to, a, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, a large number of restructuring projects and layoffs across businesses. Right. So now that job security piece, which again was a hallmark of working for these large global entities, suddenly became questionable as well. 
So when I say recovering corporate hack, what I mean by that is, I think we need to look at what really drives success for business, whether you be a small business of one person or a multinational corporation of millions of employees, ultimately what drives your success is the people in your business. So when I say recovering corporate hack, what that means for me is recognizing the contributions that each individual employee makes to the success of the organization. And it's a self-deprecating reminder of myself of corporate hack to me implies some degree of detachment from reality. And I never want to find myself in the future detached from reality, whether that be the customer or the employee in the business. I think that when you do that, you're starting a slow decline into uh, irrelevance. No, well, that was spot on. Thank you for that. And um, I know you're um, you're finding or forging your new path as a recovering hack. And I think when I, if I remember correctly from our previous conversations, your desired path will lead you down um, HR consulting and working with organizations so they see the 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 human capital rather than just the financial capital in their organization so what what does the future hold with you as matt burns mba yeah i mean right now the future for me holds with uh, i currently work for a global entity named uh, yisk we're a danish entity with a canadian business in which i oversee the human resources function my short-term plan right now is to make sure that i apply the learnings that we discussed on this particular uh, appearance in my organization. So I'm looking forward to bringing those best practices and reinforcing those best practices in this organization. On top of that, what I'm really trying to do on a more broad scale is really galvanize the human resources profession globally and shake up what has been, in some cases, a pretty stale way of looking at things by reinforcing the principles of technology, of data, of innovation, of change management. I think as we look at the future of work in business and as things continue to evolve, Businesses will be looking to HR professionals to help them transition through the change, whether that be moving to more of a gig economy, whether that be helping businesses rationalize their operations moving forward. And I really want to encourage HR professionals around the world to understand their role in that and understand the critical importance their role plays in helping businesses be successful going forward. Nice. So how do people get in touch with you? I, I know I have your LinkedIn and your Twitter handle, and we will post that in the show notes, but what's the best way... F- Uh, for the audience to reach out to you if they want to connect and exchange thoughts, ideas, experiences? I'm really bullish on LinkedIn right now. As you know, uh, I spend probably far too much time. If you ask ask my wife again, she says probably way too much time on LinkedIn. (laughs) I love it. Uh, I think LinkedIn is, um, you know, based on the changes that Microsoft has made since purchasing the platform and changing the algorithms, it is the best B2B networking site that is out there that I've found. Mm-hmm. It is a giant cocktail party and a place to share ideas with people globally and scale conversations that previously could not have occurred other than at conferences or potentially in, in one-to-one meetings. So the best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Uh, if you search me, Matt Burns, you'll see my uh, profile and you'll see that I'm very active trying to engage the community and as well responding to questions from the community. Nice. And we will make sure to post that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, um, don't type on your phone or don't try to write it down. Stop, park the car or whatever you need to do. And um, check out the show notes on the website with all the relevant links for Matt. Matt, thank you so much for taking time. Um, Sorry about the, the technology hiccup there, but that's the life we live in in 2017. It's not perfect yet. And who knows if it ever will be. And we as is it, and we made it work. Appreciate your, your, your flexibility there. And I appreciate your time as well. Thank you.
Thank you very much, Matt. And I will catch up with you most likely when you're done with your MBA. And maybe we'll all have another conversation to see how you would, um, how you, how you would uh, let's say, formulate a balance sheet. Yeah, and if I change my answer, any questions from today, you can Actually, we went on and on after this. But an episode has come to an end, right? Matt's a cool guy, and he's very humble on top of that. Because what he forgot to mention is that since the beginning of 2018, he was included on the Human Resources Council for Forbes. So this gentleman who thinks of himself as a recovering corporate hack. He's turning the corporate part of HR upside down. And we all should be thankful for that. Who knows in their career who's been in touch with people in HR who are still in the hack part of their career. And how many of us enjoyed that? So go check out the show notes, link to Matt Burns' LinkedIn, and to his Twitter handle. I encourage you to read his stuff. A lot of people do. He's got more than 30,000 followers on LinkedIn. So obviously, there's some thought leadership and pieces of value for every one of us. And if you have feedback for us, you find it our social media handles in the show notes as well. Find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. You know the drill by now. And all the links are on the bottom half of the show notes. So there's no excuse if you can't find us. The links are all there. Feedback, encouragement, criticism, suggestions who could be a future guest. All of that we appreciate, I appreciate, send it in, and we'll take a look. And if it's your cultural and global competence that you committed to working on for 2018, there is plenty of new material on our blog, theculturemastery.com. We're here to help. You know how to get in touch with us. And for now, the culture guy's out. Next episode coming up soon. Ciao for now. Thank you.